Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaverdam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we realize that whenever Reformation happens in the history of the church, things get messy. And after this past synod, things are continually getting messier and messier in the Christian Reformed Church. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We are dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. We also want to continue to say thanks to everyone who sponsored us on Patreon. We're slowly making our way toward our goal of 20 sponsors at $5 a month. If you appreciate what we're doing and want to help us continue to put out content, head on over to patreon.com slash themessyreformation. You can also support us for free by sharing our content. I'm a terrible self-marketer and need your help. If you know of anyone who would benefit from listening to this content, let them know about the Messy Reformation. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part one of our conversation with Anthony Seitzma. So Anthony, why don't you kick us off and just tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, your family and uh, and the ministry that you're doing uh, for the Christian Reformed Church. Yeah, thank you so much. It's great to be on your podcast with you and uh, let people know first that I'm a missionary with Resonate Global Mission, serving in Uganda, though I work also a little bit around East Africa, not only Uganda. Um, I'm married to Sarah. We don't have any children. And we've been in East Africa for a total of 10 years, but we've also gone back and forth several times um, to the U.S. I grew up in the Christian Reformed Church. Um, My wife, Sarah, she grew up in the Evangelical Free Church. Um, Growing up, I I should say that uh, I had a lot of relatives who were pastors or especially missionaries. So all of my grandparents, my mom's parents and my dad's parents, uh, were missionaries in Japan, okay. and my aunt and uncle as well. And uh, growing up, they were my heroes. Um, I looked up to them so much and didn't even realize it, but I wanted to be like them, but I didn't really realize that until later on. Um, but uh, I had a good good childhood, uh, good upbringing. Um, I was really, really shy as a kid, extremely shy, and God has helped me out of that a lot. But um, my faith really came alive in, in high school, and uh, I started getting involved in a, in a Baptist church in, uh, in high school, which helped a lot. And I actually, um, after that, felt called to become a missionary in the 10th grade okay. and uh, have not had any doubt about that since. And hmm. uh, just all of a sudden, a light bulb clicked on, and it was like, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. That's what God created me to do and uh can't really explain it but it's just uh that's what happened <laughs> yeah um go ahead yeah was there was so you you don't remember like a specific you kind of remember a specific moment a little bit when when you felt like this is what god created me to do or was it kind of a slow progression where you came to that it was a it was more of a moment actually i i had been 
taking lots of computer classes, thinking I might do something with computers later. And I heard a missionary speak. You know, I grew up hearing missionaries speak by all my relatives, but I heard a missionary speak from New Tribes Mission Agency. Um, and I don't know, just after that presentation, like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. Wow. And uh, I haven't done the same kind of missions that he was sharing about, but yeah. Well, actually, I almost, after that, I almost went to New Tribes uh, Bible School um, after high school. And I'm really glad I didn't um, because you just get trained for like two years and then go. And I, I surely did not have enough experience. I actually went to Kelvin um, College at the time uh, instead. And that was a really good experience just to get more life experience, to continue growing in my faith, to get a really good education. Um, I got married to to Sarah near the end of our time in college. Uh, then we both went to Kelvin Seminary. Um, I'll share more about my time at Kelvin College later in our discussion, but uh, there were some <laughs> there were some hard things sure. there as well. But then went to seminary um, with an MDiv, and and Sarah did a Master of Missions while we were there. Okay. And let me just uh, our our life is been one move to another. So I'll just summarize real quick what we've done since seminary. We graduated in uh, 2009. We went to Uganda for a year with CRWM as a long-term internship. It was a really good experience. And then after that, um, we were not ready yet to figure out what organization or what kind of position we wanted to do as missionaries. So we went back to the U.S. first, and I pastored in Minnesota at Emden CRC for two years. That was a wonderful, wonderful experience. And uh, Sarah was teaching at a Christian school nearby. Um, really loved that. I'm really grateful that I had the opportunity to pastor before coming back to East Africa to teach pastors. I just think that was incredibly an important time. Then we had a year in Texas where we worked on a farm for my wife to get an agricultural internship. Then we had two years in Uganda with World Renew as volunteers. Uh, that was 2014, 2015. Uh, it was a also a really good experience. Then we spent two years in Kenya with World Renew at a Bible college, an Anglican Bible college. The, the first year in Uganda was at a Pentecostal Bible college. Anyway, sorry to be confusing, but then... After those two years in Kenya, then we went back to Uganda with World Renew, and we've stayed where we're at now for the last four and a half years or so, but we recently switched from World Renew to Resonate while staying in the same place. So it's been a lot of moves and a lot of changing organizations, which is quite confusing for our supporters, but been a lot of really good experiences. We've loved what we've been able to do. And uh, I'll just summarize, or I'll end this question with saying what I do now done a lot of different things, but right now, uh, mainly work with pastors. I teach, but I also try to care for pastors because they have difficult lives here. So there's a lot of pastoral care and mentoring I do with pastors. And then there's um, Timothy leadership training is one of the main curriculums that I use with other facilitators to teach and equip pastors and church leaders. Then I have another training called Helping Without Hurting in Africa, which is based on the book When Helping Hurts, mm -hmm. which I wrote with Johnny Kabiswa uh, from Uganda. 
And that one is about community development, caring for the poor. And uh, that one's really taking off right now. It's becoming the main part of my work. We have a lot of opportunities all over to, to lead that one. I also run a podcast. So it's kind of fun to be on the other side because I'm usually doing what you do, interviewing people. Um, but uh, it's, it's interesting being on the other side. And we also have a radio ministry and a number of other things. But the the key is just teaching and working with pastors. And was that part of then your move from World Renew into Resonate? Was the kind of that move into the Timothy leadership training? Actually, I, all that time with World Renew is um, we were we didn't fit neatly into their structure. They were very gracious to to allow us to um, to do what we felt called to do. So I was doing TLT even with World Renew all okay. those years, and uh, World Renew really. Um, helped to spearhead TLT in many places, but in, especially in East yeah. Africa, they've done a lot with TLT. And uh, maybe that's not so well known, but um, the, as they work with partners and communities, TLT is a great thing to have alongside the, you know, the health programs or the agricultural programs, because it, it gets the church involved and the, the church leaders get equipped. The church leaders, um, are equipped also to bring transformation to their communities yeah. and uh, church members. Yeah. And I could see that, I guess I didn't, hadn't thought of that until you just mentioned that, but I can see that being a huge, a huge part of probably coming alongside um, that the book you wrote helping without hurting in Africa. Right. Cause I, I guess I haven't read your book, but I've read when helping hurts. Oh, good. Yeah. And uh, the idea of, um, the importance of helping by raising up local leaders, right? And so doing that in the church and, and in the community that I know World Renew focuses on that as well, or they're yeah. trying to do that. And mm -hmm. I see that as a huge benefit of Timothy leadership training as well. Um, one of the things I've heard, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. You know, I've heard that that's probably the biggest need in missions right now is actually raising up um, local pastors in the church. W would you agree with that? Yeah. It's a huge need. You know, I feel guilty sometimes that I'm not church planting or doing like evangelism with unreached peoples. Truly, I, I sometimes feel guilty because I know it's such a huge and important need also. But I also feel like I'm on the cutting edge of the movement of the church right now. Like uh, the, the church is just mushrooming all over Africa, but they're mostly enmeshed in the prosperity gospel. Um you have pastors who are not trained. There's always varying statistics that you can find online, but uh, vast numbers, the majority of pastors don't have any training. Uh, to give you an example, in one of my TLT groups some years back, one of my pastors in the group uh, found out his story. He had become a Christian at a crusade, a week-long crusade where he was living. At the end of the crusade, the people who had done the crusade said, well, you guys are the new Christians from here. So you're the new church and you, Joseph, are going to be the pastor. And so he became the pastor. He had never had any theological training and even more significant, he had never had any discipleship. So you imagine, yeah, a pastor without theological training, maybe you can manage, but he just became a Christian. Yeah. <laughs> so TLT was his first, uh, first training of any kind. Um, so the cases are not always that extreme, but the, the reality is that most pastors haven't had any formal training and many haven't even had any non-formal training like, like TLT or other 
programs. And so what kind of, I just, I don't want to go too deep into this, but I think, I think our listeners would be curious, what kind of training is Timothy leadership training doing? Like what types of, uh, of how are you equipping pastors? Yeah, it's a very, um, it's a, uses adult education techniques. So it's very participatory discussion-based uh, it's mostly like reading the Bible and discussing how to live it out, but mm-hmm. the manuals have some content that they that they're taught also, not just discussion. But it goes through key topics like pastoral care, stewardship. Stewardship gets into even budgeting, reporting, giving in churches, um, record keeping, mm-hmm. uh, preaching, um, marriage and family, uh, teaching organizing the worship service. Those are some of the key topics. The preaching manual is really good. Helps people to go through a number of steps to to uh, understand a Bible passage, not just kind of preaching whatever they want, um, but really what's the what is the passage saying? What is the 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 real meaning and going through steps, figuring out the main idea, figuring out the structure of the passage in in a basic way, but it it's a really transformative. So TLT gives people knowledge, understanding the Bible, but it also is very practical. You have to make an action plan and truly uh, TLT could be helpful for a lot of CRC members. Uh, mm-hmm. And I know some have used it, but one of my frustrations sometimes in the North American church in general, not just the CRC is we're so knowledgeable sometimes about the Bible, but we don't always do what it says. Yeah. And we just kind of, uh, yeah, we know that that's so simple, but then it's like, well, why don't we actually do it? Uh, and I'm not talking about controversial things. I'm talking about, you know, um, some of the stuff it tells us about how to relate to the poor or mm-hmm. how to do church discipline or, you know, I don't know, just a lot of the stuff that we, that we talk about in these discussion groups, I see pastors putting them to, into practice. And I look back at churches in North America and sometimes we're, we're failing in those same areas. So, um, it, you know, pastors here will will go through TLT and they'll put it into practice. So, Oh, we're supposed to reach out to alcoholics. They make an action plan to go out to reach out to alcoholics who are drinking the drinking joint in the road. They sit with them. They preach to them. Some get saved. They say, oh, we're supposed to to be people who help to reconcile others. They make an action plan. They go out and they reconcile people that are in land disputes or reconcile people who are separated in marriage. Uh, They say, oh, we're supposed to care for the creation. We're supposed to plant trees. They go out and plant 100 trees. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just like really practical things that people uh, put into practice based on what God's word says. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's really beautiful because it's this... uh... I don't want to, I'm not saying this derogatorily. It's just like a simple practical faith. Like God told me to do it. So we're going to go do it. And, uh, I think, I think we can kind of fall into this trap easily. Um, especially after you've been in ministry a long time, or you've been a Christian for a long time, we just kind of overcomplicate everything. And mm-hmm. so everything becomes, well, it's this really complicated and nuanced and we almost just paralyze ourselves from doing anything because we're afraid we're going to do it wrong or, or whatever, rather than just going out and, and trying to do what, what God has called us to do. Yeah. I think that's the key thing. Do we try, are we intentional to say, look, God's telling us to do this. What does it look like to do this today? Let's actually make a plan 
and do something where, you know, in the U.S. we often uh, say, oh, yeah, we're supposed to do that, but it never gets to the level of planning. What am I going to do to actually obey that and, and carry it out? Yeah. Yeah. I was just reading this last week and I came across this quote by a, a, a military general. He said, any good plan executed boldly is better than indecision. Mm. <laughs> and I just think he's like, you got to make a plan. And even if it's not excellent, but if it's decent, go for it. That's going to be better than sitting around, uh, you know, not doing anything. And I, and, I thought and that I've seen that. Church. Yeah, I've seen that a lot of times we we automatically expect well that will never work with with mm. some something that we're thinking about and sometimes these pastors that are going through the training also kind of have that idea but then they go out and try and amazing things happen like mm-hmm. you know, one church goes out and cleans a, a health center in their community and it transforms the whole community's view of the church and people start coming to the church uh, another group said let's let's give some financial support and food to the elderly and this, uh, this other community who are struggling. They do that. And uh, the people are like, why are these people so loving to these, to these elderly folks? And a bunch of people got saved at the end of that. And a church was planted just because they went and cared for some of the elderly people. So, I mean, sometimes you just have to try to do something and God works in unexpected ways. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. I've been talking to a lot of people about that, even just my own church, trying to encourage us to just try things. And if it fails, it fails. And we just, then we just move on. Right. And you never really know. I mean, this podcast is one of those examples. I remember uh, talking to Willie about starting this podcast and I'm like, I can't imagine this is actually going to turn into anything because nobody knows who the heck we are, (laughs) but we'll just try it. And after like three months, nobody's listening. We'll just kill it and we'll move on. We'll try something else, you know? And uh, we barely had very many people listening after a few months, (laughs) but enough that we thought, okay, let's keep going for another three months and see what happens. And it just kind of picked up and it actually has gained way more steam than we ever imagined. But, but it was just, well, let's try it. And if we fail at it, it's not the end of the world. We'll just try something different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to hear. Uh, we've already kind of started to talk a little bit about um, some of the differences, you know, between what you see happening in Uganda and the United uh, and the United States. But um, I, I just want to like, what are some of the things that you've learned um, from doing ministry in Uganda? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, there's also things I think uh, our denomination can learn from the churches here, but maybe we can come to that a little bit. Let me start with just some of my personal things I've learned. Um, One thing I wanted to mention, just because I don't think it's mentioned much, um, even before I get to my interactions with Ugandans, is the the experience of being a a missionary and being supported by the North American church. Um, I've found it to be a joy. Mm. Fundraising is really stressful for a lot of people. Um, I think God has blessed us with a lot of connections because of moving around so much. So there's a lot of churches and people we connected with. And so fundraising has not been so difficult, but I love the interaction with the churches who have sent us just the encouragements back and forth, uh, visiting with them. Um, knowing that they're praying for us. We have people, some, some people that meet as a team 
uh, once a month to pray for us. Uh, that's all they meet for is just to pray for us. We have people who give unexpected, huge financial gifts, totally out of the blue that were unasked for. Uh, we have people send us emails and encouragements. We have people, you know, eagerly listening to us when we come and present at churches. It's just a, it's a really cool kind of relationship uh, to have. So anyway, I just wanted to mention that yeah. first because I think uh, maybe not everyone realizes that it can be like that. Um, um, thinking about my work here, I one of the things that I really love and have learned is just how much pleasure there is in getting to know God's people from different places. I love the pastors here so much. They have issues. They're sinful like all of us, but uh, there's so much that I learned from them as well. And, uh, you know, they're sacrificing. Um, they have strong faith. Many of them have really strong character. I just really love working with them. And I love helping the North American church to get to know them too. That's why uh, I mentioned I have a podcast. My podcast is interviewing different African pastors so mm. that uh, the North American church can learn something from them. Or let me put it this way, so that the North American church can see why I love them so much. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I want to share them with the uh, people back home. So that's one thing I, I just, uh, I've learned the pleasure of getting to know God's people different places um maybe also uh, the i've learned so much about god's word and the joy that it brings um as i teach pastors the bible and teach them how to interpret the bible and preaching it's just so fun to see understanding come mm -hmm. and see pastors discovering the riches of god's word because a lot of the default preaching methods here are just terrible, to mm. be honest, like just really bad topical sermons that just kind of have a preconceived message that they want to give. And then they look for passages that they can read and not even explain to support their point. Um, and then when we go through these trainings, um, discovering the riches of God's word, as they discover those riches, it, it, it comes back on me as well. And it's just, uh, um, a really wonderful thing. I've grown so much working with them myself and appreciating God's word. Uh, another thing I've had to learn a lot about is dealing with uh, poverty here. Mm. Um, I'm really challenged in my own life because of the struggles that my friends here go through. And that challenges me to live more simply, um, which is really, it's hard. It's uh, when you live around people who are struggling, it really challenges me to be less materialistic, to sacrifice more, to see pastors who have hardly anything in comparison, sacrificing to care for needy people is a big, big challenge to me. Yeah. Um, and learning to, I had to learn how to deal with uh, compassion fatigue um, and the wisdom to know how to help well, because we truly get people asking for help from us daily. And I don't just mean people on the street. I mean, 
people we know because we know people all over the country. We know farmers, we know pastors, we know church leaders and people with real needs who are asking for help uh, legitimately. And we have to sort out how to help, when to help, how much to help, how to help without creating dependency. And to help well, you have to think it through every time and uh, talk it through as a couple. And it just takes time and it's tiring and uh, continue to ask God for wisdom all the time for, for that. So at the, on the one hand, I've been personally challenged to be more sacrificial, live more simply. On the other hand, I've had to learn how to, to give wisely and carefully and not grow tired of, of helping. Yeah. Uh, that's, a, that's a big area of uh, life here. Yeah, I'm sure that the passage where it says don't grow weary in doing good is something that you're like, yeah, I really feel that on some days. Yeah. 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 Have you, uh, one of the things I noticed, um, um, something that, that struck me in my family, we did, uh, it was a short term, it was like a five week internship we did in the Dominican Republic. And uh, we're working with the missionary there and the local churches there. And uh, one of the one of the weeks we were kind of out in a batay they're called in the Dominican Republic. So it's a really poor um, kind of Haitian immigrant, more village. And uh, we stayed there for a week and my daughter got sick and it wasn't like mm-hmm. super severe. She got a little bit of a fever. Um, we weren't too worried about that. Um, but everybody there was really concerned and they were like walking around her room, praying for her all day as she was kind of resting and recovering. And I remember her going, man, I was, I started to get scared because they were so worried about me. But I, but I remember look, thinking back on that and thinking for them, like, I think we've just grown up so comfortable, so used to doctors and medicine that we don't necessarily feel the fragility of life, um, but they mm-hmm. do. And so when someone gets sick, this is like a life or death matter and and we need to pray over people. Um, do you kind of feel that, that in, in Uganda as well? Yeah. Some of it um, is a, a bad sense of fear of the spirit world, thinking that everyone's being cursed or attacked by Satan. So there's some, so some, some extremes there that are a problem, but life is definitely more fragile. I mean, people are dying much more often it seems like than in North America people are getting sick with the malaria they're getting in bus accidents motorcycle accidents um, yeah there's HIV there's typhoid there's all kinds of stuff and I think because of that I don't want to get into this topic but um, COVID was not a huge deal in Uganda because it's like we have bigger things to deal with so no one really I'm not, I'm not belittling COVID. I know what you went through also sure. with COVID, but I, I, it's just because of the more pressing needs, let's make sure, you know, some people are even trying to make sure they get enough food to eat. Yeah. Um, that uh, because life is more fragile, some things are just, you don't even worry about them mm-hmm. because you're worried about other more serious things. Yeah, we, I, I had a, a very, so we have in our church, um, one of our elders, he's a, he's a minister of the word, um, but he's a, he's a missionary to Liberia. So he works with the United Bible Society. So he's in Liberia three, four times a year helping um, translate God's word. And 
and get it out there. And, and he had a very similar experience in Liberia as well. Um, again, not to get all political, but he was just saying like, they're more worried about all of the shutdowns and their lack of food. Like people are starving in, in yeah. Liberia because of some of the the shutdowns and stuff. They're a lot more concerned about that. You know, That's what happened here too. I, I don't have statistics, but a lot of people died here and uh, of other things. People were terrified about COVID because of the news and people that had legitimate health problems were afraid to go to the hospital to get help um, or if they're going to give birth or things like that because they didn't want to go to the hospital and get COVID. And so a lot of people died in the villages over the Uganda had some of the most severe COVID lockdowns of anywhere in the world. And the schools were out of session longer than anywhere in the world. Uh, and the lockdowns caused massive economic problems and people losing their jobs. And so during the COVID lockdowns, we were literally giving people food from our garden or giving people money to buy food because so many people were, were going hungry, you know, yeah. You, when when you have a, a pastor with 10 kids and they're down to one meal a day for the past months and you know their food is running out what do you do so that was those are some rough years here yeah and i don't want to go too far down but i'm just curious because i know like the war in ukraine has also affected liberia really strongly um and and just famine and and not having enough food has that affected Uganda in a similar way? Yeah, it's not it's not a famine situation, but food prices have gone way up. And uh, one of our friends used to make some baked goods that he would sell each day um, for income, and he had to stop because the um, prices of the ingredients went so far up that he couldn't make any money anymore. Because Ugandans mm -hmm. didn't have money to pay more for his goods either, so um, yeah, people are still struggling quite a lot right now um, because of the economic situation going on in the world. Wow. Yeah, I think we definitely. Well, we need to pray for sure. Um, but um, but what I guess before I move on because I I feel like just saying we should pray feels like James saying don't just hear <laughs> hear about someone in need and say I'll pray for you that you would get food. Mm -hmm. But what ways do you would you recommend for us, uh, you know, people in the United States to be able to help provide support for for the churches or for the people in Uganda or or like Liberia where I'm talking about? Yeah, it's tricky because um, as I'm sure you know you can't necessarily give money and, and then expect that the food will get to the people who need it. Um, there's all kinds of systems involved and, you know, dependency issues to think about. And it's just, it's complicated, but one of the things people can do is give to world renew. They have a lot of programs in East Africa that are dealing with food security, disaster response for famine areas, drought areas, um, and other organizations that are, that are doing similar things. I do think there is a place to give to churches directly. It's much easier for me to do that here because I know who to trust. I know how they're going to do it. I can give, uh, let's say, I give a hundred dollars or whatever to a church, and they can they can make pastoral visits as they give food to people in need, and it's a beautiful way for them to minister and and help their their ministry as well as caring for people. It's a little bit more tricky for someone like you to do that, and. Um, 
you can't do that through me. We're not even allowed to to do that. Um, but there are ways to make partnerships with churches. World Renew has a program for that of a church to church partnership. But in general, I think it's it can be dangerous to give to individuals directly from North America when you're not here to know the situation. So I, in general, I would just say give more generously to to organizations like World Renew to resonate um, and other you know organizations not limited to the CRC because they know what's going on on the ground. They don't do their work perfectly. You know, organizations have their own challenges with with their work, but it's it's still the, the probably the safest way to to help. Yeah. Well, you kind of hinted at this earlier, and I want to kind of move the conversation now into, you know, some of the things that you've learned in Uganda. What do you think the the Christian Reformed Church in North America, what what could we learn from the churches in in Uganda? Yeah, really uh, these points apply to me too. Um, when I say that the CRC needs to learn them, they're things that I first have learned from Ugandans and that I'm still learning. Um, so I, a few things come to mind. Um, one I think is worship. Uh, there's a lot we can learn from each other. There's a lot that Ugandan churches can learn from the CRC about worship as well. But one of the things that I learned here, and I'm still learning, it's hard, is using our body more fully in worship. Mm. Um, you know, Africans are known for this, I think, that, uh, for like dancing in church and things like that. But it's not even just dancing. It's also just being more free with their body in general, whether it's to kneel, whether it's to dance, whether it's to raise their hands, uh, whether it's to shout, whether it's to whisper. Um, In general, they just seem to be better connected to their emotions and their Mm -hmm. body than we are. And I know North America has a lot of diversity, so I'm I'm not saying everybody, but at least from my background, my church growing up, um, that's been something challenging to me. And I I'm not saying we all need to worship the same way, like like uh, that your church needs to look like the churches here, but I think we all have ways we can grow. I, I think it's important that we grow more holistic in our worship. How can I learn to be in more in touch with my body uh, and to let my body help portray what I'm trying to communicate to God in my worship? How can I let my emotions be... Um, more in, in line with what I'm saying so that, you know, it's yeah. a, we sing songs in the U S about bowing down to God and no one's bowing or we mm-hmm. um, <laughs> supposed to be singing some triumphant song and we're just kind of whispering. So I say all that. I, I, at the same time, I miss our hymns really badly. And mm-hmm. Sarah and I sometimes will sing them uh, alone uh, just because we, we miss a lot of our really rich theological songs. At the same time, we can definitely learn about uh, using our bodies more. And I'm still struggling, struggling yeah. in that area. We're the most uh, frozen people in our church out of, out of any, <laughs> anyone here. I had that experience in the Dominican Republic too. We had a, uh, we were part of uh, actually it was like a six hour long worship service. Yeah, and uh, and I was. I, I made it through three hours of it. And then I was war, I was completely exhausted and I had to like, go take a break. And, uh, they, so they, now you know how to, how to pray for us as missionaries. Yeah. <laughs> we have to 100%. do that all the time. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. And I was just, I was so wore out and they all came up to me like, did we do something wrong? Did we offend you? Like what's, what's right. I'm like, no, I'm just exhausted from, from trying to participate. And part of it for me is, was some of the language barrier. So that's just exhausting trying to like, it is. you have to work so hard to understand what's going on, but, but there was a lot of activity going on and it was super hot and yeah. Yeah. They were worried that I wasn't because I wasn't so engaged with my body as well that I was. They were like, "Oh, maybe he's angry or whatever." Because there was exactly, or you're or you're not spiritual. Yeah, yeah. Or you're weak physically. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep, I had to answer all of those questions. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe uh, I can go into another area where we can learn. Uh, Another one that really struck me being here is church discipline. and I, I've written about this before in the past. I, I really think we have failed in this area. This is okay. This is one of those practical examples. Like, like the, the Bible tells us to do this, but we're like, well, it's hard in our culture, so we don't. But can we actually just think about maybe actually doing what it says? I know yeah. it's not easy, but here they do it, and it's not easy here either. But they do it, and uh, I remember one of the best times was when they announced that someone was released from church discipline and the person stood up and talked to the whole church and everyone clapped. And it was just beautiful that, you know, he had repented and, and changed. I want to give a full story because there are also many problems of church discipline here. Um, there's a lot of favoritism, like, uh, the poor will get disciplined, but if you're a big giver in church, you won't get away with lots of things. Um, there's also, you know, the traditional things like punishing a, a girl who gets pregnant more than the guy, you know, there's those kinds of issues. Um, there's church discipline that goes on for way too long. Like the person has confessed and repented, but they might be on church discipline for five years, uh, just depending on the church. So there's some serious problems with it also, but I just admire them so much for doing it and trying and i admire them so much also for the stories that are done well where like the story i told you where people um are brought back but one of my very good friends here um was a church leader not a pastor but a very involved church leader and he um he was with uh, another woman and not married and it was just a one-time thing, but uh, he went and confessed. And their church discipline is a little bit different than ours. They, um, you go under church discipline even if you confess and repent, at least for a time. Mm-hmm. And he went under church discipline for either six months or a year after that, even though he's the one that went to the church to confess. And it was a really hard thing for the church because the uh, this is someone well-loved, a leader. They didn't expect would happen. And so it shook everyone up. And he went through some hard times with people looking at him differently. But as I speak now, he's back and involved in church again, maybe even more than he was back then. Uh, the church has reconciled with them, you know, forgiven him. They encouraged him. They walked with him. And uh, the the church discipline signaled to the community that the sin was taken seriously signaled it to the church that the 
Sin was taken seriously. It signaled it to my friend who had to take it very seriously because it rocked his life there for a while because of being under the discipline, but it ended beautifully and he was restored and church celebrated it. So that's, I would love to see more of that happening in North America. Yeah. And I think I, you know, this really connects with some of what we talked about earlier. I think, I think in North America, we, we sometimes complicate church discipline. We make it too complicated or too nuanced. And we we're so afraid of doing it poorly or wrongly that we just don't mm-hmm. do it, period. Exactly. And uh, it's one of the areas where I've told, I've, I've tried to encourage, you know, my current church and our denomination as well. Like we just have to start doing it and recognizing that we're going to fail and we're going to mess up. And that's why there's grace and, and all of that. But we just need to start doing it and try to figure it out because I don't think you can just sit back and philosophically try to figure out how to do church discipline perfectly. It's one of those things that really, you just have to learn how to do in the trenches. You just learn how to do it by doing it. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah. Let me go on to another thing we can learn. Uh, I think we have a lot to learn about prayer and fasting and I've been really challenged by people here. Um, I think there's probably, honestly, there's probably a lot of people in the churches here that view me as quite unspiritual and it's unfortunate because I trying, but (laughs) um, because I don't spend near as much time praying and fasting as they do. And Mm -hmm. um, like the church here, which I didn't, wasn't involved in this past week, beginning of January had a whole week of praying and fasting. And it was like, you know, I don't know, 50% or more of the church members who are involved in it. They took time off work. They took, instead of going on vacation somewhere, they took their, their leave off their jobs to do this prayer and fasting event at the church for a full week, being in church all day, every day, hearing some sermons, but mostly praying and worshiping and fasting all week. Um, Some of them even did a fast where they didn't have water in addition to not having food. And uh, I don't know how many days they do that, but to a dangerous level sometimes. Mm-hmm. So it just it puts us to shame with, you know, we're just so sucked in by our entertainment. I'm speaking of myself too. Mm-hmm. You know, just we we find time to do just about everything else, but we spend so little time in prayer. We we spend 30 minutes in prayer. We we feel like wow, that was that was long. But you know, try spending a whole day in prayer and. That just has challenged me so much, and I think it's something that should challenge our churches. And um, I just a couple nuances though to that statement. One, the there is this sense of there's less things to do here. Um, people don't have all the entertainments that we have, and so if you're, yeah. you, you know, you, you're less bored going to church than we are we you know we get more bored in church and and prayer than than they do and then maybe an, another point is that sometimes i actually teach what might sound heretical but i actually teach we need to spend less time praying at church here because yeah. sometimes people spend all their time praying at church praying for a breakthrough in their poverty but they're not willing to go and work um so some of the other pastors and I sometimes have to actually tell people you need to do less praying and actually get out there and work six days a week 
um, and you can't spend every day in church because there's a lot of people all throughout the year. They're in church several days every week or more um, throughout the week. And uh, they need to realize that God wants them to work and he's not just going to give them a miracle all the time. Mm -hmm. um, so there are those different aspects to think about, but still in general, fasting is regular here. Prayer is regular, both alone. People pray alone for long periods. Uh, like pastors will, pastors or our friends of ours who are not pastors, even they'll get up at 3 a.m. and pray for an hour and then go back to bed again. That's extremely common, that kind of habit. Uh, people pray as groups, they pray in cell groups, they pray at church. It's just uh, something we can learn from them. Wow. Yeah. Amen. And even though, yeah, like you said, maybe it's taken to an extreme on the one hand, we've probably taken the other extreme, right? Where we rely on our own effort and our own work ethic and all of that and just work, work, work and don't pray enough. And yeah. so it's helpful. That's one of the things, the beauties of being able to kind of branch out beyond our own kind of cultural issues is that yeah maybe this other culture has swung too far to the other way but maybe we can kind of help pull each other together to be right yeah. in the kind of where god wants us another thing we can learn is about church planting and i know that uh, i've seen some studies or something that maybe you've seen too on social media that the crc is actually doing better with evangelism than ever before it's just that mm -hmm. You know, we're not having as many children also but i think one of the things that's really touched me here that the crc could learn is this emphasis on church planning one of the things that struck me is that most of the churches here especially city churches versus like more rural churches but the city churches especially they it's kind of like each local church is always in a process of planting another church mm. so it's not delegated to professionals it's not that you call home missions to send a church planter somewhere it's the church itself who plants another church in fact i know of very few cases where it's revolving around any individuals it's the church saying okay we're going to have a mission to this neighborhood or this area and then um, they actually start a church there and they keep shepherding it and working with it. And once it gets to a certain level, maybe it takes, I don't know, five years or something, then they start planting a church in another area. And so it's like almost every church is in the process of planting another church. And it's the church members themselves doing it as a team. They'll plan a mission like they either do a crusade or they'll go door to door um, doing different things to reach out to people. And they're just always, every year, multiple times every year, they're they're doing that. They'll they'll announce that. They'll the evangelists will get people mobilized. They'll raise money to help pay for some of the expenses for that, and they just go and try. And uh, North America has challenges that make that a little bit harder. I, I'm I'm not uh, equating the two, um, but just that passion and emphasis to try. I wish that more CRC churches said, let's as a church, we're going to try to plant a church in this other area near us. And just work at that for, for years. That would be great to see. That's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week for part two of our conversation with Anthony Seitzma. But until then, don't forget this is Christ Church and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. 
So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.